The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to me on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. You can listen to us every Wednesday live from 10 to 11 Eastern Time and also listen to me on the Social Workers on 90.9 WCDB. Albany, New York, on Thursdays from 9 to 10 Eastern Time. But joining me this morning, I have two guests joining me this morning. My first guest is Dr. Patrick McGuire, and he's going to respond to the, uh, the, the news that the E! News co-host, Juliana Rancic, has cancer at, eight, at age 36, very young, and she chooses a double mastectomy. Well, Dr. McGuire, is, his, his specialty is, is cancer. Um, and he was trained at Duke University Medical Center and has a response to her decision to have a rattle, radical a double mastectomy at age 36. So we're going to talk about that. Um, also coming up uh, in the uh, second half hour is Dr. John Sharp. He's the author of The Emotional Calendar, Understanding Seasonal Influences and Milestones to Become Happier, More Fulfilled, and in Control of Your Life. So we're actually going to be talking about seasonal affective disorder, which is appropriate now in December. But uh, first, Dr. McGuire, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. Well, this is my doctor day, and I love talking to doctors, and especially the topic, your topic. I mean, you're a cancer specialist. Um, it seems to me that everyone, I not everyone, but most people that I know, family and friends, diagnosed with cancer. But you had a, a very strong reaction to uh, the, the E! News co-host, a uh, 36-year-old woman diagnosed with breast cancer and deciding to have a double mastectomy because she said her chances of living longer uh, are greatly increased. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah, so obviously first it's uh, terrible news anytime uh, someone's diagnosed with a breast cancer and you know particularly uh, it hits hard for a lot of folks uh, when it's a young woman uh, like uh, Ms. Rancic. And so you know, very brave of her to get on national television and talk about her decision, and I really applaud her for that. And, I, and it's certainly a personal choice. What I had somewhat of an issue with was, I think, some of the information that she got and through no fault of her own and how that was kind of related on this interview on the Today Show was a little bit questionable. Let's talk about the question because it's it's questionable and it almost seems like it's controversial, isn't it? I mean, it is, it is. And I have to say, with a caveat, you know, I'm not one of her treating doctors. I'm not at NYU or wherever she was being seen. Um, I practice on the coast of North Carolina, and I'm a cancer specialist. But she, he came out and said, you know, my doctors told me basically if I had a mastectomy, there'd be a one percent chance that or less that it would come back. Uh, the cancer would come back, whereas if I had breast conservation, which is basically having the lump removed with normal tissue around it, 
and radiation afterward, and a medicine, which I assume would be something called tamoxifen or a similar type drug, because her cancer had hormone receptors on it. If I had all those things, that it could be 20, 30, 40% chance of it coming back. And I think that the way that was presented was extremely misleading, and I really worry that women across the country will take that and say, well, mastectomy is the way to go for breast cancer. All right, so she clearly, from your point of view, is sending the wrong message to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of young women across the country, right? So what would the message be? What, what, uh, I think, well, yeah, I think that um, certainly there, it, it, the, there's two issues with breast cancer, and one is local treatment and the other is systemic or through the body. And you have to get both of those right in order to have the best chance for cure. The most important message, I think, that really wasn't addressed at all, and this isn't her fault, but I think the interviewer's fault, is that the survival rate, your chances of dying of breast cancer, are absolutely no different whether you have a mastectomy versus whether you keep your breast in the vast majority of women, and clearly in her case, that's true. Dr. McGuire, I thought that was old information because I'm sitting here thinking, I thought I knew that. Or I thought we knew that already because it wasn't it just, well, a few years ago or many years ago, I guess. I mean, that was the, the treatment in, in Europe. They didn't do these radical mastectomies as a matter of course. And we, then we did research and found out that, hey, we don't need to do that because they have the same success or success success rate or better than we do, uh, maybe the same, I don't know, in terms of, of prognosis and, um, and, uh, and cure? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So this is not news, and it was kind of blown off on this national interview. It wasn't really addressed much at all, and, kind of, and the way it was presented made it seem the opposite. And that's what scared me the most. So I think women need to know that your survival, whether you choose mastectomy or breast conservation, and there, and there are some women who should not keep their breast if they have very advanced disease. It said there's a few other uh, scenarios. But most women with breast cancer can keep their breast and have the same survival. So then the next question is, you know, God, and, and this was brought up by her, and this was her reason for not, um, keeping her breast is that she she had the first surgery she she wanted to keep her breast she had the first surgery and then uh, and apparently she had disease on both breasts a lump on both breasts so they went in and the surgeons took it out negative margins things looked good on one side whereas the other side they didn't feel like they got enough tissue that there were malignant cancer cells at the edge of the tissue and they said you can either go back in to have a repeat lumpectomy, or you could have a bilateral mastectomy. And at that point, I think she decided, no, I don't want to have to worry about this at all. I'd rather have both breasts removed. And I don't fault her for that. I think that's fine. But but the difference of saying 1% chance of it coming back after mastectomy is probably wrong. It's certainly wrong if she had invasive breast cancer. It's definitely wrong based, as you mentioned, on multiple trials that have been done of mastectomy versus breast conservation with lumpectomy and radiation. So that's just wrong. So if that's just wrong, Dr. McGuire, what do we do? How do Let's say one is diagnosed with breast cancer. Where do we turn to? I mean, I know a lot of women who turn to the Internet for information. Um, how do we know we're getting the best uh, information or the best advi- medical advice? 
Yeah, I think that um, that's a, that's a cr- critical question, and that's why I wrote uh, a book. Having gone through this with my parents and my wife's parents with, with cancer treatment, um, I wrote this book when cancer hits home for that very reason, not just about breast cancer, but about the top 20 cancers in America, kind of the basics of what you need to know, because the Internet can be so misleading depending on where you're searching. And uh, so I think that's critical is, is getting a good source. And there are some good sources on the Internet. The other is making sure you have multiple opinions. And some doctors can be more um, forceful or more um, definitive in what they're saying. But just because they seem that way doesn't mean that they're right. <laughs> so you really have to have at least two opinions, if not more, particularly in a case like this. The only the only scenario where I think the, the information that she got may be somewhat true is if she had something called DCIS, which is pre-invasive cancer. And certainly a mastectomy can, can dramatically decrease the chance of that coming back. But arguably, and this has been in the news lately with um, the American Cancer Society uh, uh, chief, Otis Brawley, Dr. Otis Brawley, DCIS is arguably not you know, he's arguing you shouldn't even call it cancer because it's pre-invasive, meaning DCIS itself, pre-invasive breast cancer, does not kill women. And when women hear cancer, they think the risk of dying. And so it, it, that would be a really drastic step if what Ms. Rancic had was pre-invasive cancer and she chose uh, bilateral mastectomy. So, well, the first thing you said I want to respond to, that you really need at least two opinions, maybe three, maybe even four. Uh, you know, I'm going through this with a relative of mine who absolutely refuses to get more than one opinion. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, and, you know, as a social worker, I mean, I, I, I'm saying to her, and, I, you know, what you're telling me, I'm sort of trying to, I guess, say a similar thing to her. You need to get another opinion. You need to go to a major medical center. And, and she refuses to do it. I don't know whether it's because she's frightened or she's scared or whatever the reason is. But um, at some point also I can't, don't want to dismiss the care that she's getting because the patient has to believe in, you know, in the care and believe in the doctor, and then you, you are sabotaging the treatment. So, you know, when do you stop when, do you, when you're trying to help somebody and, and maybe give the kind of advice that you just suggested? Right. Yeah, and that can be quite a challenge, I yeah. realize. Um, you know, there's two, two different issues, I think. One is getting the opinion, and the, and the other is getting the care. And so you can be very comfortable with your local doctor, and most people aren't next to an academic major medical center. And you don't necessarily have to have your care there, but to have a second opinion from a, a place of expertise, particularly if if everything isn't absolutely straightforward or there is a very... Uh, important question to be answered about uh, the treatment, for instance, mastectomy versus keeping your breast or that type of thing. You know, I, it, it's just a trip down the road for, for one day and certainly worthwhile to get that opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the problem is when you hear cancer, I know when, and when women hear breast cancer, you want to have some kind of or feel that there is a definitive answer that's going to, and I'm going to be cured. So I go to three different doctors and they give three different opinions and maybe each one of them may work. Who knows? But it becomes too, I, the ambivalence is so frightening. that, right. And I think that's the scary part. So just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I mean, I think that comes into play. It's not a good thing, but I think that's part of the emotional reaction to, to what we're talking about. No, you're absolutely right. And, and some patients, some people are better served with 
kind of a more authoritative or uh, uh, you know paternalistic uh, view of medicine from their doctor saying here's here's what you should do rather than here are all of your options. But most women, most women and most patients in general, I think, and I would hope you would agree, it is you know it's better to get those opinions even though it can raise some some questions. But you're absolutely right that ambivalence is, can be very difficult to deal with. But we need to know our options and, uh, I guess, force ourselves to do that because I think that is, and be accountable for making the decision with your doctor about the best care and the best treatment. That's right. Absolutely. I have one question I wanted to ask you. I don't know if we have time. Probably only have a minute. I don't know. But this whole controversy about mammograms, just speak to us about that for a few minutes. Yeah. So I think that uh, mammograms are definitely helpful. And when you're talking about screening tests for breast cancer or any cancer, it really comes down to selection. So in real estate, it's location. From For screening tests for cancer, it's selection. If you select patients well enough uh, for a good test, you're gonna, you're, you'll have a benefit in decreased deaths. And so I, think, I still recommend to my patients that they get uh, mammograms beginning at age 40. And the question of how frequently, um, I think, is more arguable. Could you get it every other year? For most women, yes, but then you're going to miss some cancers uh, in between. So it's very difficult. But don't mammograms cause cancer, the radiation? You're getting your breasts radiated and smashed so that if you have cancer, I mean, I, there's something about that. You're radiating your breasts. You're smashing them down. Let's say you do have cancer. It would seem to me that wouldn't be too good. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does seem maybe counterintuitive, but yeah. I think that the data doesn't necessarily show that that uh, mammograms increase the the cancer rate. So I, I would not have that as a major concern. So, in other words, you're recommending mammograms from the starting at age forty, but then you have to decide whether every year, every two years, or what about the idea that your breasts are so dense when you're in your forties, so that you don't. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and and so you're the the benefit or the yield of screening women in their 40s. You have to screen a heck of a lot more women to find the cancer, and you will have many more false positives. And so that's what the data has showed that that um, if women, women need to make an informed decision, they may they have to know that if they get this, their breasts on the whole are going to be denser. They're going to be at higher risk to have something shown on the mammogram for which they'll undergo a biopsy, which will be negative. And so that's the big risk, really. Um, and if you can take that risk, I think it's reasonable. But otherwise, you know, waiting till 50 for most women is not going to be a problem. But, but we see, you know, I'll tell you, every week we see in my practice uh, women in their late 30s and 40s with, with diagnosed with breast cancer. So um, it happens, unfortunately. Dr. Patrick McGuire, author of When Cancer Hits Home. Where can we get your book? On, online, bookstores, everywhere. We'll answer some of the questions we've been talking about, but there's lots more to discuss. I mean, we've been talking about breast cancer, but obviously uh, you're a specialist in lots of other kinds of cancers, and prostate cancer also brings up a lot of controversial issues. So It yeah. does. It does, yeah. So you can get uh, the, my website is called thecancermd.com, and you, there are e-books but called Empowered Against Breast Cancer and Empowered Against Prostate Cancer that are very inexpensive that you can get on, on those sites. Also, the, the, the book that I wrote about the top 20 cancers in America, prevention and treatment, is called When Cancer Hits Home, and you can get that there. You can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. Terrific. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. 
Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks yeah. again for having me. Great, great talking to you. Uh, coming up next is uh, another doctor, Dr. John Sharp, and uh, his uh, book is The Emotional Calendar, Understanding Seasonal Influences and Milestones to Become Happier, More Fulfilled, and in control of your life. I guess control is what we all want. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Every week, tune into a new kind of radio show. Carrie Douglas returns to the Voice America Talk Radio Network, along with Voice America's Network Director, Brandy Jackson, for the Mr. Carrie Douglas and Brandy B Show. We'll step inside the minds and lives of everyday people with a focus on how their faith has developed and led them along their personal path. Carrie Douglas is an artist, promoter, writer, and industry mogul, but his mission is deeply rooted by his faith. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me this morning is Dr. John Sharp, author of The Emotional Calendar, Understanding Seasonal Influences and Milestones to Become Happier, More Fulfilled, and in Control of Your Life. Dr. Sharp is a psychiatrist and a neuropsychiatrist who's on the medical staff at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston. He's on the faculty at Harvard, Harvard Medical School and at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. So welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Dr. Sharp. My pleasure. Hope I can help out. Yes, I hope you can, too. And as we talked a little bit about this whole area of seasonal affective disorder, which you talk about in your book, but obviously it's not just seasonal affective disorder. You talk about emotion. People experience emotional distresses at specific times of the year um, and not necessarily related to the weather, but it may be related to a holiday or it may be related to uh, 
just personal event at certain times of the year that could be triggered as well. So you're absolutely right, Catherine. There's the physical effects like light and temperature, and there's also you know cultural expectations and the extent to which you know you kind of buy into or resist you know what what we're quote supposed to be doing or feeling like at any given time of year. And then there's your own experience in life and what's happened to you and how that could also very powerfully contribute to how you wind up feeling um, at one time or another. Dr. Shab, we're going to take a look at the emotional calendar. What do we want to tackle first? Well, I think the first thing that most people think I'm talking about is seasonal affective disorder. So maybe we should get that out of the way first because it's, it's very relevant, especially on a day like today at this time of the year. Especially for us. You're in Boston and I'm in upstate New York, so... Oh, I know it. You know, if we lived on the equator, uh, we wouldn't have much risk of seasonal mood variation because of light, because it's just about the same amount of sunlight, you know, winter and summer. But the farther away from the equator you get, you know, the longer those winter nights are, the less amount of sunlight you have in the day, and the increased prevalence you find of this thing called seasonal affective disorder, which is really a kind of depression that comes in the wintertime, and it's relieved by light. Well, all right, if it's relieved by light and we don't have light, or at least we don't have natural light, and we live far away from the equator, as both of us do, and we're talking about millions of people, how do, what do we do? How do we counteract this so that we aren't affected um, and so that we don't become depressed um, or well, just bad? Recognizing that this is a real phenomenon, it affects a lot of people. You know, as many as maybe 10 or 20% have like the kind of worst case, but I would suggest in my research, I find that maybe 50% of people have some noticeable effect, even if it's not, you know, keeping you from going about the business of your day. It might be keeping you from enjoying the business of your day. And the antidote really is light. So you can get a light box looks kind of like a computer monitor. They're pretty small and light and not really that expensive these days for uh, less than a few hundred dollars last years and years. Um, You can plug it in, sit in front of it for 20 minutes or so, usually in the morning when you're maybe looking at your schedule for the day or doing a crossword puzzle or watching TV or making coffee. But you have it shining on your face, and then you can turn it off and get going. And you would be surprised in about 10 days or so Sometimes right away that day, but sometimes it takes a week or a little longer, you'll feel a kind of boost, and it can carry you along very nicely. Is this what they call a blue light? It can be what they call a blue light, but interestingly, that's the newest thing, and it's a little bit less evidence-based. It's, it's, uh, I'll tell you one place where listeners can go. There's an organization um, that's run out out of Columbia University, where I went to medical school, and it's called the Center for Environmental Therapeutics. So it's CET.org. It's a nonprofit. They have a lot of good information, and they actually have a, a couple recommendable um, light box models. So it looks really just like a bright light. Um, you, it's not too bright. doesn't harm you. Uh, you can't get sunburned. There's no tanning rays. But other than that, it's full spectrum, 10,000 lux. That's a unit of light intensity, uh, and it is just enough to do the job. The blue light may turn out to be effective, too, but we're not as sure about that. How do we diagnose ourselves, though? Because what you said earlier that, you know, you're not necessarily going to have a major clinical depression, but you may be just sad, and it does affect 
uh, you may be able to go to work, you have relationships with your, your family and your friends, but maybe they're not quite what they should be, but is there a way to kind of self-diagnose to say, well, you know, maybe I have a problem, maybe I need to do something, maybe I need to get a light, if not a blue one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it takes pattern recognition, which, you know, in social work and in medicine, you know, we get good at, but I think you don't have to have a degree. You just have to be able to look back on your life and convince yourself that, you know, no matter what the particulars were, it just seemed, you know, year by year, winter by winter, it just seems like you can say, I feel generally kind of pokey, kind of tired, kind of down, a little more effort all the time. I get irritable, you know, sometimes when I think about all the stuff I have to do. That kind of feeling, you know, it's like a, like a big old bear just wanting to hibernate is uh, what we're talking about here. Um, it doesn't have to be worse than that. And the good thing is, um, by the way, I don't have any stock in lightbox companies. I don't mean to be like <laughs> trying to sell this stuff, but it's easy to try out. You know, insurance covers it most all the time. The companies themselves have a money-back guarantee for the units, and there's really no side effects. You know, so it's an easy fix, and I think it's worth trying. Other things that make sense to do are to pace yourself a little bit better, maybe if you can refresh yourself by taking a little nap, uh, do that, uh, have a little more caffeine as long as it doesn't make you jittery. You know, you definitely have to seasonally adjust. And this time of year, you know, you need to give yourself a boost one way or another. Yeah. And, Doctor, when you talk about seasonally adjust, now we, I think we can jump into managing holidays because those always have some kind of an emotional reaction, sometimes positive but sometimes very negative and, and not expected at holidays like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah, things that are supposed to be happy times or good times turn out to be disastrous times emotionally. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Let's true. be realistic. As kids, you know, we most often look forward to the holidays, you know, with a sense of, of joyful anticipation. And, you know, by the time you get to be, not always, but usually, but by the time you get to be a grown-up, you realize, oh, on top of everything else I normally have to do, I have all this seasonal stuff, all this holiday expectations, and then you have these ideas that it should be different, and that can make you even feel more upset with yourself. So, what you just said is very wise. The first thing is just to recognize that the holidays are a stressful time and that we just have to recognize that doing the best we can and, and planning for it is, is, is all we can do and it's the best thing that we can do. So, so having reasonable expectations and then, again, looking back, that pattern recognition thing really uh, works well. What does this time of year usually bring for you? That's what you want to ask yourself, and then you can problem solve. I think you, you, I think we should say it again because it, reasonable expectations, and I think that's that's where everybody get or many people get stuck. They don't have reasonable expectations, and they don't understand or they don't want to look at the pressures that they're under, whatever it is. And maybe financial. There are a lot of you may have to have your mother-in-law for you know to stay with you for five days, and you don't want to, uh, but that's okay, and you can forgive yourself for for feeling bad about it. I think that's part of it, too. But in your book, you have very specific things that we can do to um, manage the holidays, right? Right. Um, and just to, can I say to your point, so you can ask yourself, what do I need? Like, what do I need for myself this week or these next few weeks between now and, and you know, the Christmas holidays, Hanukkah coming up? What, what do I need for myself? Like, in other words, it's okay 
to take extra good care of yourself. No one says you're not supposed to do that. In fact, I would say you are supposed to do that. So if you need a, to be a little busier or if you need a little more downtime or if you need to, like, factor yourself in and get yourself a little gift or just step aside of the fray and, and just, you know, go get your nails done. If there's just something that you need to do for self-care that's going to help you, don't put yourself last on the list. You know, put yourself first or put yourself in the mix early so that you can nurture yourself and do that, um, I think, extra mindfully. Yeah, great advice. And I think and uh, you know, clinicians know this and psychiatrists know this and social workers know this, but holidays bring up, if, and we've all suffered at one time or another, losses. And so holiday, whatever the holiday is, brings up those feelings of loss and and sometimes grief. So uh we I think we have to be able to recognize that as well and to and to accept it and to and, and to go on and to actually as you say follow some of the uh specific things we can do that are in your book. But um it's true, you know, it's it's um the curse of our profession, you know, is that everything that we say is, you know, to tell people to do is easier said than done. You know, it's it's easier for us to say, well, loss is part of life. Try to remember the good part of the relationship that came before the loss. You know, try to celebrate that in a way. But again, that's easier said than done when you're talking to someone who's who's full of heartache or when you're full of heartache. Um, but I think you're right. The holidays kind of bring up this kind of how it should be sense, this kind of idealized kind of world view or notion. And, uh, you know, right away we have to face reality, and it seems like that's a disappointment, but it doesn't have to be. You know, I think you can cherish um, good uh, experiences you've had in your life, even if they're in the past. You can remember them fondly. You know, you can try to build in, if you're going to reminisce or be nostalgic, a kind of a, a positive aspect to it. You know, the emotional calendar is not just a bunch of negative things. You know, it's not just a question of find out where all the hardship is and work around it. I mean, there is, there is some of that. You can help yourself by finding out where the hardship is going to be on your emotional calendar and work around it. But you can also find out positive things. Like, what do you like about this season? Okay, so it's gray. Okay, so you're busy. Okay, there's a lot of holiday expectations. But what can you enjoy this December? What can you enjoy this week? Where can you find it in your calendar? How can you make time for it? Um, and then when you get that done, give yourself a big pat in the back and really see that you've done yourself a great service. You can buy yourself a ticket and go to Florida. <laughs> you can. You can just watch out when you come back because you're going to come back to the, to same, the same thing. Season. I have uh, colleagues who go away um, at the end of the season because they like to celebrate the beginning of the new one. So they take their spring break in April. So when they come back, there's no chance of snow anymore. Um, the reentry sometimes is hard. And another, speaking of travel, another good tip is if you're, if you're let's say, uh, unhappy in the winter, you can go to a place where people are actually happy in the winter. You know, find yourself a winter mentor is one of my suggestions. You know, go to, even if you don't ski, you can go to a ski area where people are outside and the sun is shining and they're bundled up and going out for, you know, hot cider and dinner together and fires roaring. You know, a happy environment can be contagious. Yeah, and you talk about winter as a time of alcohol seasonality. That kind of fits into what you're or could fit into what you're saying. Well, what people, more people, you say, try alcohol for the first time in December and January than any other time of the year. Is that good or bad? 
Well, it's probably not good. I mean, I think it doesn't have to be bad either. You know, I, I think if you wind up, if you're not an addict, you know, and if you know that you can, you know, have a drink or two safely, uh, if you're not driving or putting yourself in any kind of risk in terms of judgment, you know, it can be nice to relax uh, with an alcoholic beverage and some company and maybe a fire or a book or, you know, you can actually uh, include alcohol safely into your holiday enjoyment. The problem, of course, is that people overindulge. Maybe they're at a social event, they're not watching how much wine is being poured in their glass. Uh, or maybe they are tense to begin with and they're really self-medicating with alcohol and then, you know, they think if one's good, maybe two's better. So it is a slippery slope. I think if you have a sense of what your limit is and, you know, try to stay uh, light instead of heavy, you're doing yourself a big service. Addicts obviously can't partake, but people who are not addicts, you know, can use alcohol as a, as a, a tool and sometimes, you know, can be better off for it. And maybe instead of, and, and it, more is not necessarily better, but maybe better quality. Treat yourself to a better bottle of wine than you would otherwise have, have, have bought, at, you know, during the December and January months. So That's a very good idea. There's a very particularly excellent kind of um, scotch that I treat myself to the week before Thanksgiving. I buy a bottle, and it, it lasts me quite a long time, I'm <laughs> proud to say. But just having a sip of that special stuff kind of makes me feel seasonally attuned, and, and it, it doesn't, doesn't hurt me at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to take a short break, and uh, then we're going to be back uh, with Dr. Sharp because we have more to talk about. I and mean, we've kind of been talking about how to, uh, when you, the, kind of the downsides of some of these holidays and seasons, and, but there's, um, th- there's some interesting also emotional things that happen during the summer months, which surprised me when I read the book. Uh, <laughs> I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to me and Dr. John Sharp, um, author of The Emotional Calendar. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you are looking for both an inside and insightful look at what you're not seeing in media coverage of today's legal, business, and policy battles, Tune into In the Court of Public Opinion with host Jim Haggerty. What happens in the public arena affects us all. Whether you're following the latest high-profile court case, corporate crisis, or are just interested in government and policy, be sure to tune in every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The witnesses are ready and the jury seated. So join us for our next session in the Court of Public Opinion. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. I'm talking to Dr. John Sharp, author of The Emotional Calendar, Understanding Seasonal Influences and Milestones, become happier, more fulfilled, and in control of your life. And Dr. Sharp, when's the book coming out? Well, it came out in hardback in January, and the paperback, thank you for asking, is okay. trade paperback release is December 20th. So once again, just in time for the holidays, um, you can get for, I think, fourteen ninety-five uh, uh, most places, Barnes Noble, Amazon. You can go to my website, which is johnsharpmd, J-O-H-N-S-H-A-R-P-M-D.com, and uh, look at it and buy it there, too. Terrific. Great. Well, I already have my copy, so I'm all set. But <laughs> all right, let's talk about summer, the summer season, because you say summer is a time of sexual seasonality. What do you mean by that? You know, I was talking to an uh, Internet dating site, and they were asking me whether people date differently in the summer versus the fall versus the winter, and I said, yes, they do, and I explained all about it. It's very interesting. So to answer your question, the expectations of the summer, you know, start from the time we're young. You know, we're out of school. You know, it seems like a long, relatively carefree time where you can almost do whatever you want and get away with whatever you want. Of course, that's not entirely true, but (laughs) (laughs) that's how we kind of come into this in our kind of hearts, and people are friskier in the summer. You know, there's a lot more kind of sexual cueing, less clothing. Sometimes people go places and decide they can have a little, you know, relationship on their summer break, you know, when they're working someplace, they're going to come back from. People are a lot more carefree in the summer, or at least they want to be. Do you think people have more affairs in the summertime? Because if they're more carefree and they have less clothes on, there's more light and there's longer light. The days are much longer, at least in the north, east. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, more light doesn't necessarily lead to more affairs, but I I think the kind of more energy and I think, you know, we're really... um, you know, we're sophisticated beings, and we can resist temptation and be all very kind of deep in thought, but we're also very kind of primitive. You know, you see a lot of bare skin, and you're out, and the days are long, and you think you're away from reality, and next thing you know, you know, uh, something that seems like a temptation may seem like an irresistible temptation to you. So I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think that you've got to, you know, react in a seasonal way. If you're Free and you decide to be more carefree uh, in the summertime. I think that's very natural. Yeah. So having it, being sensual, there's nothing. That's that's a good thing. But then, what about this statistic that you mentioned that more couples have unprotected sex in the summer than any time of year? What what are the repercussions to that? Well, you know, you'll see nine months later. You know, there's a lot of trouble, though, um, with unprotected sex just in terms of sexually transmitted diseases. And, you know, I think a lot of people are just too casual about about unprotected sex. It's it's stunning, really, when you look at the statistics. And it is worse in the summertime. It's true. You know, that carefree thing is uh, a thing that can lead to problems. You just have to be a little bit 
careful about it. But I think the idea of kind of letting your guard down, I think the idea of, you know, deciding that you don't have to worry about, like, forever. You know, summer romances are less likely to be with people that you're for sure considering a keeper. You know, someone who's not a contender for the long run, you know, you might not want to date in the first place. But in the summertime, you might decide to anyway. It's a, it's a lot different, really. In the fall, people tend to look for more like life partners, you know, someone who they can spend like the long haul with, um, someone who's compatible on many, many levels. And by, by the end of the fall, if you haven't found someone to be with, I think you get less choosy. I think you start thinking like, well, it's going to be a long, cold winter. <laughs> I better, better choose someone. I better find someone now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so and maybe getting back. Well, autumn is is a more serious season. We get back. We go back to school. We go back to work. Maybe we've been on vacation in August. So all of a sudden, we take on a more serious role when fall comes around. We do, and there are two types of people, you know, some who have always loved back to school, they've looked forward to it, they've done well, either in class or on the playing field, and then others who, you know, would much prefer to linger um, and catch the last, you know, sunset on the beach and really are thinking that way even when they're in school, not listening to the teacher. So, so if you forever, you know, dreaded back to school and, and had reasons for it, you're not going to like the fall, even if school's a long many years away in the past. Uh, but if you've enjoyed it, um, then it may be something to look forward to. That's what got me interested in the book, Catherine, is that I was at the end of the summer with my cousin, and she was taking her family vacation. It was the last week in August. That's the only week her husband had off. And they were getting ready to enjoy the summertime still, rent bikes, go out for ice cream after barbecues, late on the beach. And I was thinking about the classes I teach at Harvard and having to get ready for them, and I was kind of a grump. I mean, I really wasn't ready for all this, like, summer stuff because I was thinking about the fall. And I noticed, wow, how can two similar people feel so differently at the same time of the year with the same cues? You know, the cool winter, sorry, the cool breeze at the end of the summertime kind of made me think of, like, the winter already, and it, it made my cousin Sally just think about a refreshing second wind on the long day. Well, you know, you anticipated my question. I was going to ask you that. Which one? Are, which person were you? I'm the one. I like the fall. It always reminds me of even going back to school and a new beginning, and I always loved school. So I, I think autumn is my favorite time of year. My mother, on the other hand, has the same response as, as you. It's always, you know, wanting to, she likes the summer and the light, and it's kind of the, you know, she's, gets not depressed, but it's it's that same kind of feeling like, you know, winter is coming. Um, but I also like to ski. So, um, yeah. Well, you're very seasonal. Good for you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so for fall, I just want to emphasize, if you're the kind of person who kind of doesn't look forward to the fall, who kind of sees it as the beginning of, like, the winter, don't let it get sandwiched out completely between your dread of winter and the end of summer. you got to make sure you appreciate that each season is like its own separate world with its own tastes and sounds and smells and textures and, you know, opportunities for joy. And you want to try to get into it, you know. Do what someone who is enjoying the fall would do. You know, do the kind of things that are likely to make you happy if you give them a chance. Don't be too pessimistic. Uh, even if it's not your favorite season, you can look and find joy and a adapt to it and know it's coming and that does make you feel more in control that's what you started with we all want to feel more in control and i think one of the things also will help you to feel more in control which you 
mention or what you talk about in your book, controlling your external environment. I don't mean outdoors necessarily. You talk about inside, too. I mean, there are subtle things that you can do. I like this one. You know, just paint your walls a color that's that's pleasing, that has warm associations. Um, Not a difficult thing to do and not an expensive thing to do, but it does change that external, doing those external kinds of, making those external kinds of changes changes your inside emotional feelings as well. A lot, absolutely. You don't don't have to be... um... You know, uh, Martha Stewart, you know, uh, in other words, highly detailed and, you know, kind of very elaborate in what you try to do. You can just be very simple. You can do it on any budget. You know, um, you know, in the wintertime, sometimes I recommend people will turn, if you have a, if you can uh, adjust the temperature, turn it up one degree. You know, uh, you don't have to spend a fortune doing that. And, and maybe change the rug from a summery to wintry look or change some throw pillows or, you know, have a scented candle or, you know, just the kinds of things you can do as we're talking now can transform, you know, the immediate external world around you and make you feel a lot cozier, a lot more snug, a lot more happy and in control. So important. And also just buying, I, I found that just buying, when you go to the grocery store, get flowers. You know, make sure that you have flowers in your Seasonal. house. Seasonal, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I just came back from Los Angeles, um, and I have a little place there, and it's uh, all very kind of streamlined in L.A., like you'd imagine, just yeah. kind of like a white sectional couch and a mirrored wall and it, it's not really a very seasonal environment but i'm going to be spending um christmas here with my kids and i wanted to make it a little nice for them so i bought some silver balls and i bought a little bit of red and i bought a little cinnamon sprig and different little things or i was a trader joe's you know on a shoestring trying to make it as nice as i could without being too elaborate made a world of difference i'm telling you now i walk in there and it feels very seasonal i'm like taking my own advice and i tell you it works it does work. It changes everything. And I think sometimes we get into this, and, and uh, maybe I said this earlier on in the show, we get into this like we have to do, we have to make huge changes, or the changes are too expensive, or they have to be these like, you know, they don't have to be. Small things like you just described change everything in terms of, you know, like your environment. You're talking about uh, uh, California, and it, it really is. It can be very simple, but it makes a huge difference in one's makes you happier, and it also affects your relationships with the significant others. Absolutely, and I hope that your listeners can really remember that because a lot of times when we're feeling kind of defeated, we think, ah, why bother do anything? And any little thing you do can transform that feeling into something much more positive than you'd even expect in that moment. You know, you just get a little bit of uh, control over a couple things, make a few changes, and everything looks better. So we have a few minutes left. I mean, we've we've talked about a few things. Have we left out anything that that we really, you know, that listeners, you know, that we want them to, that we should be telling them today? I mean, obviously they need well, to go buy the book go online. Buy the book, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, follow me on Twitter, John Sharp, MD. Um, but I think you're right that. There's just a couple things I might want to quickly say. One is we talked about changing the external environment, like what's right around you. We talked about kind of changing your attitude about doing what you can and like trying to see like the positive, you know, wherever you can find it. Um, and the other thing is, you know, the problem solving that we started with is very important to 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 pursue. Like let's say you're going to a, a family gathering for, you know, one of the holidays coming up later this month and you can't avoid it. Um, so what's the problem solving there? You know, you can't just like sit home. It's not 
not all or nothing, or you don't want to just go and have it be the same, but are there ways you can, like, make a little extra time for yourself while you're somewhere out and about, like if you're at a family gathering, or are there ways you can find a relative that you kind of are more close with and spend more time with him or her? Are there ways you can just plan in a way that's likely to work better? It doesn't have to be all or nothing, you know? So think about, again, small adjustments that you can make and that can transform something into something new. So you're making your emotional calendar right now for like looking back in the future. So it's not just doomed. Uh, we're not just uh, forced into like how it's always been, it's how it's going to be. If you create some new changes, you can actually create some new expectations. You can start looking forward to things that so far you haven't been able to. Yeah, and I think, Dr. Schott, that's, that, that is, that's critical. Make small changes. And, you know, uh, one thing that um, a friend of mine told me that, uh, that he does is he has his orange juice in, in a wine glass every morning. Oh, that's instead, great. Instead of in a you know little juice glass, and it sort of makes it more elegant, uh, more interesting. Uh, so I tried doing that, and it does it works? It, it instead of a little juice glass, as I said, I put it in a nice wine glass, a good glass, and it makes breakfast even a little more elegant and a little more interesting and a little more fun. Oh, absolutely. I share my office uh, suite with uh, some ophthalmologists down the hall. There's a water cooler, and they have little paper dispensable cups that look like the kind of cups you take medicine out of. It's a nice water cooler, but it looks like you're drinking medicine. So I finally decided to, like, go buy some nice, you know, disposable plastic cups that are, like, totally different kind of feel. And now every time I go have a sip of water, I feel like I'm, you know, treating myself to something nice instead of having a little sip of medicine out there. So I think it definitely works. Yeah. And when you go to that party, try to talk to someone you've never talked to before, even if you don't want to go to this big gathering of all these relatives. Try someone new. There's always somebody there that you haven't maybe spoken to before. Start and, ask, and ask them about themselves. What's up with you? And ask the question twice. All it takes is twice. You ask someone the same thing twice. So what's it doing? What are you up to? And next thing you know, they're talking about themselves, and then you don't have to talk about yourself unless you want to. But I think having a plan, <laughs> who you're going to talk to, what you're going to say, you know, where you're going to spend your time, how you're going to get away, I think all of that um, will make you feel much more, much more in control, much, sure. much happier. Well, great book, The Emotional Calendar, Understanding Seasonal Influences and Milestones to Become Happier, More Fulfilled, and in Control of Your Life. We've been talking to Dr. John Sharp. Give us your website again so that Thank we can... Thank you so much. It's John Sharp, M.D., J-O-H-N-S-H-A-R-P-M-D.com. Terrific. Thanks. Cheers. Have a good day. Yeah, have a good holiday. Yes. Holidays. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone. You've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Uh, you can listen to us every Wednesday at uh, 10 o'clock live, and we archive the show, and obviously we stream it as well. And listen to me on Thursdays on The Social Workers on WCDB 90.9, Albany, New York. That's also streamed on the net and archived. Hope you had a good morning. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, 
please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 